Father in heaven, we thank you that we are gathered together as your people to hear from your word. We pray that you would speak to us, that you would speak through these words, and that you would help us grasp this kingdom and put our faith in the king. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Cropping a photo can change the story completely. If we look at the first example on the screen... Oh, that's, that's not bright. But you've got the face and you've got Abu Dhabi or a big city in the background. There's a guy on holidays. Imagine your friend has sent you this picture. They're enjoying holidays. But then you get another picture. Cropping a photo can distort the message, can't it? Or take another one. You're on the boat with your family and your little daughter takes this photo and shows it to you. There's something in the water. There's something in the water. But again, getting the full picture, it's just the shadow of a duck. A cropped photo, a cropped picture tells a different story. Similarly, only having a partial picture will skew your understanding. And I think that's what's happening in this passage today. I think that's what's happening in our passage today. So as we jump in, it's important for us to understand the context. We need to start by seeing the pattern of Jesus' ministry. The pattern of Jesus' ministry. Now, right from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we we are told his basic message, aren't we? Matthew 3, Matthew 4, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is the message he proclaims from town to town to town. Matthew 4, 23, it summarises his early ministry in this way. He went all throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Matthew 9, a few chapters later, repeats this again. Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. This is Jesus' ministry. We get to chapter 10. And Jesus, he includes his disciples in this same ministry. He sends out the disciples with what message? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And he gives them the authority to cast out demons, to heal the diseases. And so there, the disciples' ministry, it mirrors Jesus' ministry. Here today, Jesus arrives at his hometown of Nazareth. After an extended teaching on the kingdom of heaven, we now see something different. What happens here? What's the consistent pattern? Teaching in the synagogue, preaching the kingdom, and healing all the diseases. What happens here? Verse 53, Jesus teaches in the synagogue as expected. We can presume that his teaching, as always, was centred on the kingdom of heaven, but verse 58, he did not do many miracles there. What's going on? Well, Matthew leaves us with no doubt as to the reason in verse 58. It's because of their unbelief, because of their lack of faith. This narrator comment, it shapes how we understand the whole interaction, doesn't it? We are meant to understand, if it's not abundantly clear, that what we are viewing is unbelief, is lack of faith. The people of Jesus' hometown do not believe. So the question is, why? Or rather than speculate, we need to look at the clues in the passage to understand. 
And Matthew, he gives us two clues, their emotional responses and their speech. Their emotional responses and their speech. And from these clues, we piece together that they had a partial picture of Jesus. A partial picture of Jesus. So let's look at the clues. The first emotional response, verse 54. Verse 54. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. In direct response to Jesus' teaching, they were amazed. These unbelieving Jews, they can't help but recognise the reality that Jesus was an amazing teacher. An amazing teacher. We're not told exactly what he taught in that synagogue, but we have been given a good flavour of his teaching over the last few weeks, haven't we? The kingdom of heaven that Jesus proclaimed was more precious than a pearl, than hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven may start small as a seed, but it grows into the biggest of the trees. The kingdom of heaven is the inescapable reality at the end. Like us, they have heard the words of Jesus. Like us, they have been amazed at his teaching. However, the verdict on these people is they lacked faith. They lacked faith. Friends, it's not sufficient to merely like Jesus' teaching. It's not sufficient to treasure the morals that Jesus articulates. Just as it's not sufficient to like the teaching at church and sit here each week because of it. Now, don't get me wrong, Jesus was an amazing teacher. If he were preaching right now, you'd be on the edge of your seats, hanging off every word. But if that's all you believe Jesus is, then you've got some worries. You'll quickly slide into either moralism or complacency. You see, there are many in secular society today who happily quote Jesus' teaching. You know, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Or, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. But to cherry pick some some of Jesus' moral teachings is to miss the point, is to miss the point. The key thing Jesus taught was about the kingdom. The inspirational quotes you get with the nice backgrounds, they're missing the point. The core of his message is about the kingdom of heaven. Do you understand that? Do you understand the kingdom of heaven is the ultimate reality? The beautiful, precious, eternal reality. Don't miss the point. To think Jesus is merely a good teacher, even an amazing teacher, is missing the point. To be amazed at Jesus' teaching is insufficient. And we can see why. Because this amazement then makes way for questioning. Look at the end of verse 54. After they were amazed, they questioned, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? His teaching is impressive, but where on earth did he learn it from? And that brings up their first contention. He's just an uneducated trader, an uneducated trader. Look at the question, verse 55. Isn't this the carpenter's son? 
At this point, most commentators will make mention of the fact that Jesus' father, Joseph, is not mentioned here and he's not mentioned back in chapter 12 as well. So most likely, he has passed away. And in that case, Jesus, the eldest, has taken over the family business. Not just the carpenter's son, the carpenter. Now, almost every time I move into a new place, which is five times in five years, I've always received a white envelope in the mail with nothing but to the resident on the front. And without fail, I'll open it up and what will I find? A fridge magnet of the local plumber. No doubt Penno Plumber is on all your fridges. Now I assume they had different advertising techniques in the first century. But Jesus was known. He was the carpenter's son. He was the local builder. The chippy, the handyman. You can imagine the collected reflections. This lady over here, I gave him a cup of water as he, as he fixed my roof. Or someone else saying, isn't he the guy who did Nathaniel's renovation? But now when I say uneducated, he was educated for carpentry, for being a builder. But if you rock up to a conference and who's up there speaking, it's the guy who fixed your sink... Questions are ringing, aren't they? Not only are you like, what? It's a small world. But a part of you is thinking, do I really need to listen to him? Do I really need to listen to him? He doesn't have any letters after his name. What authority does he have to speak to me? These hometown people, they could not believe that God would work through an uneducated tradie. It's too ordinary. Jesus did not match their expectations. All this talk of a new kingdom and this is the king? As a carpenter, he could probably build a nice throne, but is he really the one who would sit on it? This hard attitude continued against against Jesus' disciples too. Acts 4, Peter and John, they've just healed a guy, you remember, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. They're now in front of the Sanhedrin with all the impressive first century men, the high priests and the like. They spoke with such boldness that they were astonished. Why? Because Acts 4.13, they were unschooled ordinary men. Jesus and his disciples were uneducated tradies. What sort of kingdom will this be? Is this really how God works? The people of Jesus' hometown, they could not accept it. It was a big stumbling block for them. And it still is today. One of the most common critiques of Christianity is how unimpressive Jesus is and how unimpressive his followers are too. The fact that Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross has been mocked throughout the ages. There's evidence of early graffiti in Rome with a man with a donkey's head being crucified. And the inscription, Alexander worships his God. The weakness, the shame. How can this unimpressive man be your king? How can he be God? Jesus, the uneducated tradie, seemed unimpressive. And the Apostle Paul, he, he says this hard attitude is to be expected. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 Jews demand miraculous signs, Greeks seek, look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, 
a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Just as the message seemed foolish to them, so too do the messengers. Jesus was dismissed. The disciples were dismissed. And the pattern is true today. People will level the same accusations against us. You're a Christian? You must be uneducated. Christianity is the opium of the people. It's the same allegations throughout the ages. You may hear it from scholars, from university professors, from colleagues or from TikTok. Christianity is a clutch. A crutch. It's ridiculous. It's foolish. Don't take it personally. As Jesus said in Matthew 10, a student is not above his teacher. If they mocked Jesus, they will mock us. And in fact, the quest for the impressive has no place in Christianity, has no place. The gospel message turns it upside down. You just need to look at Jesus. He lowered himself from the glory of heaven to be a man and to be a man who succumbed to death on a cross. Philippians 2. The disciples, they longed to be impressive. They asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? How did Jesus respond? He grabbed a little child. Whoever takes the lowly position of a child is the greatest in the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is not about being impressive. The kingdom of heaven does not discriminate based on education or intelligence or competence. Jesus welcomes the little children while the educated elite remain on the outer. Jesus and his disciples were uneducated tradies and through them God has established his kingdom. So when you think about it, the obstacle actually turns into great confidence, doesn't it? The weakness, it demonstrates God's power even more. Even more. As an aside, I think we can adopt this same heart attitude as we think about ministry. Think about conferences. Who do we get to speak? The one who has written the best-selling book. The one with the letters after his name, the one with the most fame. That is not God's pattern. God uses the ordinary. Think about who the first ministry workers were. Fishermen. God even used tax accountants. All Christians are useful in God's kingdom. It's not about intelligence. It's not about education. It's about ordinary people being used by God for his kingdom. And I pray that that will be true for all of you and for me in big and small ways. Jesus was an uneducated tradie. The people of his hometown, they stumbled at this reality, but their question showed another issue. Jesus was just a common man. Just a common man. Look at verse 55. Isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? This is a classic hometown question, isn't it? Aren't you one of us? We not only know the house you grew up in, we know your mum. 
and your brothers. We can point out all your sisters that are among us today. You're a local man, a common man. You could say that their contention was that Jesus had lost touch with the common man. He got too big and famous. He's forgotten his roots. If this were an Australian town, they'd be cutting that tall poppy down, bringing him down a peg or two. In one sense, this is a similar contention to the last one, isn't it? He's not that impressive. But in another sense, the reality of Jesus being a common man has been the cause of controversy throughout the ages. I just want to mention two issues briefly, two issues briefly. The first, and they're both isms, which is fun. The first is docetism, docetism. It's from a Greek word that means to seem, to seem. This belief, it suggests that Jesus only seemed human. It was all a big deception. These people, they argue that Jesus was not a real human being and he didn't have a real human body. He only seemed to be human to us. Do you think this belief would have flown in his hometown? They'd all witnessed and seen Jesus. They know his mum, his family, his carpentry is all around the block. This belief, docetism, it was condemned as a heresy back in the Council of Nicaea. But the flip side of this is Arianism. Arianism. This is a belief that was put forward by a church leader named Arius. Um, But he basically stressed the humanity of Jesus so much that he called Jesus a creature. He was created. The argument goes that Jesus was born of Mary and therefore he had a beginning. And if he had a beginning, then he can't be God. Can you see the danger with this belief? Can you see the danger with this belief? If Jesus was not God, and there is plenty of evidence that he is in the Bible, if Jesus was not God, then he is a liar and our faith is futile. This belief, Arianism, was also condemned as a heresy. Getting Jesus' identity wrong is dangerous. Is dangerous. This is the problem of his hometown. Jesus does not fit the picture they were expecting. He doesn't impress them. His background, it's, it's too familiar. And so how do they respond? Verse 57, they took offence at him. For them, Jesus is too ordinary, offensively ordinary. They had a partial picture of Jesus. Jesus, the teacher. Jesus, the uneducated tradie. Jesus, the common man. All true, but a partial picture. The people of his hometown, they have missed the point. But today... We have the great privilege of having the full gospel account in front of us and in them we get a true picture of Jesus. A true picture of Jesus. Because Jesus was far from ordinary. And I think we get a snippet of the true picture in this passage. Look at how he responds in verse 57. Jesus' response, Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honour. Now this obviously summarises their response to Jesus, doesn't it? Their offence, but their offence is not a surprise to him. Why? Because the prophets have rejected, have been rejected time and time again. 
so often that it seems that this is a proverbial saying. It's a pretty sad indictment on Israel that rejection of prophets is a proverbial saying. Sad, but not surprising when you look at their history. God sent prophet after prophet to Israel to warn them to turn from their sin and to turn to God. What do they do? All throughout Israel's history, they've rejected them, each and every one. And now, here in Nazareth, in his hometown, they have the greatest of all the prophets. How do they respond? They take offence. They are no different to their forefathers. Jesus adopts this proverbial saying to put himself in the long line of rejected prophets and dishonoured prophets. And do you notice that in claiming the title of prophet, Jesus actually answers their question of verse 54. Where did this man get the wisdom and miraculous powers? From where? From God. Here is the true picture of Jesus, the powerful prophet. The miracle worker sent from God with the very words of God. And yet, despite having the wisdom of heaven, he is rejected by men. Look at the consequences in verse 58. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. As Jesus sows the message of the kingdom, the people of his hometown are the hard soil. They are offended at him. They reject the message. And so the pattern of Jesus' ministry, it changes. The consistent pattern of his early ministry, teaching in the synagogue, proclaiming the kingdom, and here he doesn't heal the sick, or not many of them. Why change? Well, Matthew tells us that it's because of their lack of faith, doesn't he? But what do we make of that connection? What does it mean that a lack of miracles because they lack faith? Did their lack of faith somehow reduce Jesus' power or cripple him in some way? Absolutely not. Jesus is the powerful prophet. People believing he's powerful or not believing that does not stop him being powerful. Jesus is just powerful. He can heal whoever he wants to heal, and he does that in the next chapter. So what do we make of this connection? I think Jesus is acting on what he said earlier in the Sermon of the Mount. Matthew 7, verse 6, Do not throw pearls to pigs. These people have rejected the message. If Jesus gives them miracles too, they will just trample them underfoot. But I also think this break-in pattern is showing something about the shape of Jesus' ministry, in particular the trajectory of Jesus' ministry. Hostility has cropped up in chapter 12 already. The Pharisees have gone against him, and it will only increase as we keep reading through Matthew's Gospel. And so we see that Jesus' primary aim was not to work miracles and heal the sick. Jesus' primary aim was to preach about the kingdom and to bring it about. And so rather than pandering to the people's desire for miracles and for signs, Jesus preached the kingdom. 
He faced hostility and he experienced the ultimate dishonouring. His own people, the very people whom he had come to save, condemned him, spat on him, mocked him and paraded him naked on a Roman cross. In the eyes of all there at that time, Jesus was a prophet without honour. But that is just a partial picture, isn't it? Because Jesus was the powerful prophet. He had power to lay down his life and power to take it up again, John 10. Death could not hold him, Acts 2. And so Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to rule as king over the kingdom that he proclaimed. Friends, we may not have Jesus physically in front of us like his hometown did, but we have the true picture of Jesus. Don't miss it. Jesus is the final prophet, Hebrews 1. Jesus is more powerful than death. And Jesus is enthroned as king over the kingdom that he proclaimed. So to ask their question again in different words, where do we find the wisdom and the miraculous power of Jesus? The answer is the cross. To finish the 1 Corinthians quote from earlier, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is the ultimate reality. And the only entry is through trusting the king. Have you done that? Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You are so generous to us. You have given us your only son to die in our place at the cross. He experienced the shame that we deserve and he took it and he nailed it to the tree. We thank you that through Jesus you welcome all those who trust him into your kingdom. Please give us eyes to see the the reality for what it is that what matters most in this world is your kingdom and that is what will happen at the end of, at that final day we pray that you would help us to trust jesus and to live for him in his name we pray amen